Welcome to the 78th episode of the Headkick KO Podcast. Today we are here to discuss UFC San Diego, which was headlined by Marlon Chito Vera and Dominic Cruz. Once we're done with that, we're going to talk about some news in the UFC, and that's going to include some talk about Bo Nickel, some recent fight announcements. We're going to talk a little bit about a fighter that switched over to the PFL this morning. So those are the things we're going to discuss in the news section. We won't be previewing next week's card because next week's card is UFC 278. I will be back on Thursday or Friday with a preview video for UFC 278. So that won't be in this episode, but it will come out later this week. So let's start right at the top of UFC Fight Night, San Diego. And this main event, um, first and foremost, we saw a head kick KO in the main event. Marlon Chito Vera knocked out Dominic Cruz with a head kick. Now, you know me, I love me a head kick KO. And if you didn't know that already, you can probably tell based on the name, Head Kick KO Podcast. But anyways, um, Head Kick KOs are not nearly as fun when it's one of your favorite fighters getting knocked out with a head kick. Um, Learned that the hard way. But nonetheless, it was a great performance by Marlon Chito Vera. And it was a good performance by Dominic Cruz too, actually. But for Chito, he fought in a way that played right into his style and allowed him to get that win. Um... He was landing a lot of damage early. He got a do- he got a drop in the, at least the first round, and he got two or three other drops after that, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. But um, he was landing a lot, a lot of damage. He wasn't outpacing Dominic Cruz, which I don't think anyone anticipated that he would. But he was out damaging Dominic Cruz, and that helped him win that third round, and that helped him pull ahead in round four. And he eventually landed that head kick KO perfectly timed as Dominic was rolling to the outside. That is one of the bigger flaws in Dominic Cruz's style. And that's not a slight on Dominic Cruz. But um, when you have someone who moves laterally like Dominic Cruz does in that fashion, if you can catch them moving one one way um, with a big shot, you can do a lot of damage. Like I said, that's not a knock on Dominic Cruz. But, you know, there are some flaws in his fighting style, and there are some flaws in other fighters' fighting styles. Like you could say Marlon Chito Vera uh, wasn't, you know, didn't land enough volume in rounds one and two. That's not his fighting style. So that's not a knock on Dominic Cruz, but rather a, a reality and something that you have to deal with, kind of. But um, Dominic Cruz was fighting a really good fight in this fight. Um, he won the first two rounds. He was doing a good job at out-voluming. Chito Vera, right? He wasn't ever going to be the guy in there with the heavier hands and doing more damage. If Dominic Cruz wanted to win this fight, he was going to have to make Cheeto miss, and he was going to have to make Cheeto miss a lot. And after he made a miss, he was going to have to return with a lot of volume. And he was doing that really well. He won the first two rounds. He got hit with the shot, like I said, in that first round. But he was fighting a great fight nonetheless. And... Marlon Chito Vera eventually caught him. So all credit to Marlon Chito Vera. Um, And Marlon Chito Vera isn't a, you know, he's not someone out there taking uncalculated risks, right? When Chito catches Dominic Cruz, it's not because he got lucky with a head kick. It's because he saw something and set something up and landed the big shot, right? So this comes from Dominic Cruz being, or excuse me, from this comes from Marlon Chito Vera being incredibly, incredibly calculated with his attack and eventually finding 
the holes to fill and be successful. Now, um, let's talk about what is next for each fighter. Marlon Chito Vera sits in an interesting spot because he was number five in the rankings. He got himself a big win, but it's not going to move him too far up the rankings because he did just beat the number eight guy. So he's not going to fly up the rankings. But when you look at the rankings, there's some interesting fights, right? Every single fighter above of Marlon is currently booked, and a lot of the fighters behind him are currently booked. So when you look at the fights ahead of him, Corey Sandhagen, I think, would be a very good fight. Corey Sandhagen is currently booked against Song Dong. I think if Corey Sandhagen can get out of there with a win, Corey Sandhagen versus Marlon Vera makes a lot of sense. Um, some other fights that would potentially make sense, you've got Jose Aldo versus Mirab Davalashvili. Um, that could make us that could make some sense depending on the scenario, right? He's already fought Aldo, so if Aldo wins, I doubt they do that rematch. Um, for Mirab, if Mirab wins, maybe they do Mirab versus Cheeto. That would make a level of sense. Now, moving up in the rankings, TJ Dillashaw is fighting El Jermaine Sterling. If TJ loses to El Jermaine, I could see that fight taking place. Um, and if we have and we have Piotr Jan versus Sean O'Malley, um, he could easily get one of those two guys. If Piotr Jan loses, he's going to slide a little bit, I believe. And I think Cheeto versus Jan would make sense in that scenario. So really what I'm trying to tell you here is it's incredibly hard to book Marlon Chito Vera right now with the current state of the bantamweight division because no matter what you're going to do in a, in a fight booking for Cheeto, it has to start with if. We can't say anything definitive right now until we see some of these fights play out. And those fights will begin to play out next weekend when Jose Aldo fights Murab Devalishvili. And then I think we have a week off. And then I think we have Corey Sandhagen versus Song Yudong. So I believe that's the calendar. There might be one more fight night in between there. Um, but that is the 17th that of September that um, Sandhagen and Song Yudong will fight. So um, I really don't have much else to say in terms of booking Marlon, Marlon, uh, Marlon Vera. Just simply because, like I said, I can't say anything definitive. Right now, we have to speculate, but within the next month and even further, two months, once UFC 280 is all wrapped up, once that is done, we're going to have to go through and completely rebook this bantamweight division because we're going to have a top 15 that has a lot of guys coming off of wins, so a lot of guys coming off of losses. That's just the way the division is going to be looking, and there's going to be a lot of guys that are unranked. So we'll, we'll revisit that later down the road. But for right now, um, nothing else to add there. For Dominic Cruz, um, first off, I see a lot of people saying Dominic Cruz should retire. I do not necessarily agree, but I understand where those people are coming from. Because when I look at the way Dominic Cruz fought against Marlon Chito Vera, he wins that fight if he is more durable, has a better chin, and has more power in his hands, right? He was able to land efficiently you know he wasn't he wasn't you know pitching a, a perfect game he wasn't you know lights out but he was fighting pretty well and he hit Cheeto with some good shots however he just didn't carry the power in his hands to really do enough damage to change the course of that fight with the volume he was landing and at the same time every time Cheeto landed something solid he would get dropped those are two things that are only going to get worse as Dominic Cruz continues to fight at the same time, Dominic Cruz, 
did not look bad. Dominic Cruz is a top 15 fighter in this division still. So I, I don't think he should retire as long as he wants to continue fighting, right? If Dominic Cruz doesn't want to continue, there's no reason to continue. But if he still has the, the passion and desire to fight in the UFC, I think he can do some good things. And I think um, he can beat a lot of these guys in the top 15. He already has a win over number 9, Pedro Munoz. And um, there's some interesting matchups that could make sense for him. Most notably, once again, Dominic Cruz is in an if position, right? So if Jose Aldo loses to Murad Devalashvili, I think you absolutely have to book Jose Aldo versus Dominic Cruz. And, you know, one or two of those guys might retire. I know Jose has talked about retirement recently. Um, I believe he said he wanted to beat Murad, win the belt, and retire. Um, now... If he loses, maybe he tries to stick around. And I think a fight with Dominic Cruz, like I said, would make sense for both of those guys. Other fights that would make sense for Dominic Cruz, Frankie Edgar. Um, if he wants to continue a title climb, maybe a Rob Font. That'd be a good bounce back fight for, for Rob Font. Or more likely, they probably probably make Dominic Cruz fight someone like a Ricky Simone, a Frank, or a Umar Nurmagomedov, a Jack Shore. Right, they're gonna want to build a younger um, prospect through the name of Dominic Cruz, and that may be the route they look to take for Dominic. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but I think that is something that we have seen more and more often as of late. So don't be surprised if we see it happen for Dominic. Now, um, the rest of this card, right? There isn't a lot of big-time name value, so we're not going to spend a lot of time talking in depth about each of these fights on this card. But I will um, do a brief overview and give you some of my quicker thoughts and opinions. Um, first off, Nate Landwehr versus Damon Onama was a fight of the night by a mile, um, and this is probably going to be in talks for fight of the year. I don't know how highly it's going to rank in those, but it will definitely be in the conversation. I was very surprised that Nate Landwehr was able to go out there and get a win. I'm very high on David Onama. Um, this is the second time he has lost a, a fight like that, however. And I don't know if this has anything to do with Onama fighting once in July and now once in August. That could have something to do with it. Very quick turnaround. Regardless, Nate Landwehr looked very good, and I think this was the best version of Nate Landwehr that we saw in a UFC octagon. Now, um, this this uh, Yasmin Haragi and in Yasmin Lucindo fight. This fight was an interesting fight because where rarely do we see two fight two fighters that are making their UFC debut on a main card of a fight night. And they're three fights up on here, right? They're above names like Ariana Lipsky, Gerald Merchard, Angela Hill. So um, these two women got put in a very good position. Uregi's 23, Lucindo is 20. Um, and I think the biggest thing I learned from this fight is that these two have a future in the UFC, right? Especially Yasmin Haregi. She won the fight. I think she is the better fighter at this point. Um, but Lucindo, at 20 years old, she is still a very young fighter, so I would not count her out either. 
But this fight was very entertaining. It would have been fight of the night if Nate Landwehr and David Onama wouldn't have put on their fight. Regardless, um, I was impressed by these two. I've seen far worse fighters in that strawweight division. And I think these two will hold a place in the UFC for a long period of time. As I'm at, Mirzakhanov, one of the better prospects in the light heavyweight division, was able to take out Devin Clark. Um, let me tell you what, I was pretty surprised that Devin Clark was not trying to wrestle a little more. Um, I don't know why he didn't attempt a couple takedowns, but he looked pretty outmatched on the feet. Credit to Azamat Mirzakhanov because he was able to land a lot of heavy shots, and he has heavy, heavy hands. And it looked like every time he landed on Devin Clark, it looked like it hurt Devin Clark. And eventually, he landed a big, big body shot that dropped Devin Clark, and he capitalized with ground and pound. I really like Azamat Mirzakhanov in this late heavyweight division. I'm not sure that he's going to be fighting a ranked opponent next. When you look at the bottom portion of that light heavyweight division, there are some opportunities there for him, whether it be Jimmy Crute, Justin Jacoby, Johnny Walker. Um, those are your 13 through 15, with Jimmy Crute starting the list at 15. So I think there are some opportunities there for him to get one of those fights. Um, but I don't think that that necessarily is going to be next for him. I think he takes one fight with someone who is just outside of those rankings, maybe a little bit better than Devin Clark. And then after that, if he wins, he moves into the rankings. Priscilla Cachueta versus Ariana Lipsky. Um, Priscilla Cachueta has some of the more powerful strikes, um, specifically punches, in that female flyweight division. She put them to good use in this fight against Ariana Lipsky. The two started to exchange, and Priscilla Cachueta was the one landing and landing harder. She knocked out Ariana Lipsky in one minute and five seconds. I will say I'm quite surprised that Lipsky chose to bite down on the mouthpiece with one of the bigger power punches in the division, um, and it didn't work out for her. Um, but I think, you know, for Lipsky, I still think she can rebound. Cachueta, this was a very good win to add to her resume. Now, as we continue, if you don't sense a theme yet, I, there were a lot of surprises and things that I was not expecting on this card. Gerald Marshart versus Bruno Silva. When you look at that fight, I mean, who was expecting Gerald Marshart to come in and really, really outstrike Bruno Silva for a large majority of this fight? Um, I do think Bruno won some of the earlier minutes, but as that fight got deeper, Gerald Marshart started to strike better and better before eventually landing a big hook. I don't remember if it was a left hook or right hook off the top of my head, but he landed a big hook and then got the finish on the ground. I'm very high on Bruno Silva. I like Bruno Silva. I think he's a very good fighter in this division. He had a great fight against Alex Pereira, but for Mershart to go out there and put Bruno Silva out, very, very impressive. Um, each time I see Gerald Mershart, I get a little bit more impressed, but there are, all, there are, ooh, excuse me, there are also times that he takes steps back. Um, if you were to look at his resume, um, you know, he had a good thing, he had some good things going, and then he lost to Christoph Jotko um, at one point. Yeah, um, he had a couple wins in a row, lost to Jack Hermanson, um, had a couple wins in a row to start off his UFC career, lost to Thiago Santos. All his losses are to very good competition, so I don't fault 
Gerald Marshart for losing some of these fights. Santos, Hermanson, Holland, um, Chimaev. The other two are Heinich and Anders, and Ju- or other three, and other three, excuse me, and Jutko. So Jutko, Heinich, and Anders, not bad fighters, but not at the level of some of those other guys. But regardless, Mearshart is continuing to hold his spot in the UFC and win fights. So credit to him. Angela Hill versus Lupita Gonez. Godinez, excuse me, was up next on this card, and I was very, very impressed by Angela Hill. Um, once again, I was surprised that Lupita Godinez did not attempt more takedowns. She's a very good wrestler. I thought she would try and wrestle a little bit more in this one. Anyways, Angela Hill, however, in, I believe, two takedown attempts, she at least defended one, and then on the other one, she got taken down, but she did a very, very good job of threat threatening the guillotine, and eventually getting back to her feet. On the feet, Godinez is a good striker too, so it wasn't like, oh, I stopped the takedowns and win this fight. You still have to outstrike the good striker in Godinez, and Angela Hill did just that. She did it with her quick hands and quick kicks. She was able to outpoint and really land a lot of volume on Godinez, and I know outpoint at sometimes can kind of be a little bit of a diss but I'm not using that as a diss here because she was hitting Godinez without getting hit that is um the definition of kind of point fighting however she was still dealing dealing damage while doing that so she's dealing damage and point fighting good combination and aside from the early exchange where she got clipped a little bit but she won those second two rounds um second round was quite convincing too Martin Boudet versus Lukash Bresky um, this was an interesting fight. Um, I I don't really know what to say here because I I'm trying to fi- I'm trying to word this where I don't hate the decision, right? Um, I'm not really gonna argue with it, but I understand the people who say Bresky won that fight. I'm not going to dig too deep into it. Um, Bresky looked better than I thought he was going to, to be honest. So credit to him there. Just wasn't enough to get the win over Martin Budai, who is a strong light heavyweight. Um, once again, for Budai, I'm surprised he didn't use his clinch work more. Um, anyways, doesn't really matter it, because he still got the win. Nina Nunez was also able to get a win against Cynthia Calvillo. This was a fight where didn't really know what we were going to see coming in, but Nunez came in, put on a pretty good performance. Um, won the fight very convincingly despite it being a split decision and she elected to retire afterwards. Good call for Nina Nunez. Um, she said she wanted to spend more time being a mother and she wanted to have another kid. So um, retirement is probably the best option because juggling all of those things at once is not easy. So um, I wish Nina Nunez the best in her retirement. And we have four fights left. Let's make these last four quick. Gabriel Benitez versus Charlie Ontiveros. Gabriel Benitez got hit with some big shots, got hit with an axe kick, got hit with a spinning hook kick, did not fall, and he was able to come back and get himself a big-time victory. Credit to Gabriel Benitez. Two other big-time knockouts, Tyson Nam and Josh Quinlan. Two very similar kind of knockouts. Um, Tyson Nam caught Oday Osborne after he attempted a flying knee. Um, and I believe Jason Witt was attempting a kick, and Josh Quinlan caught him. 
Um, Quinlan was out cold. Ode was all but out cold. You know, he did a little roll. Two impressive knockouts for Nam and Quinlan. First fight of the night, we saw Yusuf Zalal and Damon Blackshear. Very close fight. I do believe that Zalal won that fight. Um, I'm not going to... You know, I, I see why people believe Blackshear won that fight, and I'm not too far off that. This was a close fight. Um, I don't think it should have been scored a draw. I think we should have saw a winner. Regardless, um, this wasn't a terrible fight. It was an interesting fight, but um, I think we should have saw a winner. I don't think he, I don't think any of those rounds um, deserved a 10-8 to create that draw. Now, um, that's all I have for UFC San Diego. I know we didn't go in-depth on a lot of those fights, as we usually do, but um, there wasn't really a lot of in-depth discussion to be had, in my opinion, on, on some of those. Now, let's go to the news section, where the first thing we will discuss are recent fight announcements. We have two, three ranked fights and one fight between two unranked fighters that should be pretty interesting. Starting it off, Jared Cannonier versus Sean Strickland, October 15th. This is a great fight. When you look at both of these guys, one loss to Adesanya, one loss to Pereira, it makes sense to book them together, and the winner stays at the top portion of the division. I get the matchmaking. I like the fight. Now, we also had another 185-pound fight, Jack Hermanson versus Derek Brunson. This one, also very good matchmaking. Um, when you look at the rankings, this fight does make a lot of sense. We have Jack Hermanson sitting in the 8 spot and Derek Brunson sitting in the 4 spot. But Jack Hermanson did look good in his last win. And the guys in front of him are largely booked. So it makes sense for Brunson to take this fight and try and get back in the win column. And it makes sense for Jack Hermanson to try and catapult himself into that top 5, top 6 range of fighters. Now, possibly the biggest name that we had added, um, Molly McCann. She is loved by the more casual fan base. She will be fighting Aaron Blanchfield at UFC 281. Blanchfield is ranked 13th. McCann is ranked 15th. Now, this to me is a fight about matchmaking. Um, I think this is a lesson to learn and kind of identify um, and you can kind of begin to realize how the UFC matchmakes and, and controls and narratives in the sport. Sounds overreactionary, but it is true. Uh, when you look at who Molly McCann has fought, she landed that big spinning elbow, and that put her on the map as a UFC fighter. Then in her next fight in London, England, she did it again. But when you look at that matchmaking, Hannah Goldie was... A-tier matchmaking for Molly McCann to go out there and get a win in her hometown. Um, Hannah Goldie is one of the few fighters that is the size of McCann. And when you look at the skill set of each fighter, they have similar skill sets. But Molly McCann is slightly better in every area. So that fight was going to be a very, I don't want to say easy fight for McCann. But coming in, it felt predetermined that she would win that fight in my opinion just based off these skills obviously we can see surprises we saw a handful of underdogs last week win um but those are a little bit different because the ufc 
isn't making those. You know, the UFC didn't go, okay, we'll book Ode Osborne versus Tyson Nam, and we know Ode Osborne is going to go through, go out there and run through him. No, that, that that was a little bit of a different situation. You know, those two don't match up in the same way like a McCann and a Goldie. Um, and then now, Milo McCann has this big, big name, right? Big name. Who's the best prospect in this strawweight division? There are a lot of really good, or excuse me, not strawweight, flyweight division. There are a lot of good flyweight prospects. Um, when you look at them, Macy Barber's already in the top 10. I believe she has a fight booked. I may be wrong, but either way, they'll try and get Macy Barber, someone in the top 10, so they don't need her fighting the 15th ranked woman in the division. Tracy Cortez is another top prospect, and she currently has a fight booked. Then you have Cynthia Calvillo at 12. She's not a prospect. I'm just kind of reading in this range of fighters. You have Casey O'Neill at 11 with the torn ACL. You have Manon Fior at 7, who they've got her fighting some of the upper echelon. So now when we're looking at the board going, who's the best prospect that is currently unbooked? Um, I see the name Aaron Blanchfield. Aaron Blanchfield is one of the better prospects. You can make a case she's a better prospect than Cortez, O'Neill, um, Barber. I don't really want to argue who the best prospect out of those names are. But Aaron Blanchfield is not only the best prospect that is unbooked um, and realistic to fight Molly McCann. She is also a very interesting stylistic matchup for McCann. Because McCann is a very well-rounded fighter, right? She has decent wrestling and she has good boxing to where she can outbox a lot of big-time grapplers. Where she can kind of, um, you know, more specifically um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, practitioners who aren't excelling at getting takedowns. If someone doesn't excel at getting a takedown, you're going to have a hard time getting Miley McCann to the ground, right? So... Um, when you look at boxers, most boxers, um, Molly McCann will be able to strike with a little bit, um, and she would be able to get some takedowns, but the one area of Molly McCann's game that she does not do tremendous against is elite level wrestlers, right? Um, elite level wrestlers are a little bit better at getting the fight to the ground and controlling position and controlling McCann on her back. Um, and I guess I shouldn't really... Um, dumb it down to wrestlers and boxers, but rather, you know, grapplers with elite takedowns is, is probably what she struggles against. Um, and that is what Blanchfield is. Blanchfield does have very good takedowns. She will be able to get this fight to the ground, and she will be able to probably beat Molly McCann just by controlling her in top position. So now you ask yourself, why did the UFC make this matchup if Molly McCann is, you know, a stylistic, is fighting someone that's such a bad stylistic matchup? Well, it's simple. The UFC probably didn't see Molly McCann as someone who could see sustained success in the top 15. It makes sense for one of your top prospects to be the one to crack Molly McCann and her recent hot streak. So that's why that fight was booked. We'll see if Molly McCann is able to get a win. Like I said, already being this far out, that's taking place at UFC 281. I will probably be picking Blanchfield, but um, that's just a little lesson in how the UFC tries to build stars, right? You build up Molly McCann, and now that Molly McCann is built up, you think Molly McCann has hit her peak, 
instead of trying to get her to continuously grow. And you wouldn't want McCann to falter against someone like Cynthia Calvillo because if she falters against Calvillo, then, you know, Cynthia Calvillo isn't going to be a star. You're trying to make a star out of Aaron Blanchfield, who has a high potential. Um, moving on with fight announcements, we had one more. This is our unranked fight that should be very interesting. Nathaniel Wood versus Charles Jourdain, two guys just outside of those 145-pound rankings. Very good fight. I would not be surprised if we actually see um, Charles Jourdain ranked soon. You know, um, there's going to be one spot in those rankings opening up. It may be Jourdain. It may not be. Um, we will wait and see. Now you're saying, James, why is there a spot? Why is there a spot in those 145-pound rankings opening up? This morning, this is Monday morning. This morning, we saw Shane Burgos boogie over to the PFL. He was a free agent after his win against Charles Jourdain. And he tested free agency and elected to sign with the PFL. This makes a lot of sense. When you look at Burgos, Burgos is a highly entertaining fighter who is probably not going to become a UFC champion, right? He goes over to the PFL. People probably will still watch his fights. Why? Well, he's a highly entertaining fighter. So people will still watch Charles Jourdain, whether he's in the PFL, the UFC, Bellator, the Cage Warriors, Cage Fury, who cares? People will find a way to watch Shane Burgos fights. He goes over to PFL. Now in PFL, he does have an opportunity to win their $1 million season tournament, which would be much more than he's been paid in his entire UFC career. So this does make a lot of sense for Shane Burgos. Um, if Shane Burgos can get that $1 million check, do not be surprised if we see other fighters like Shane Burgos um, decide, hey, if I'm not going to be a UFC champion, I'll go be a PFL regular or I'll go be a PFL season-long champion and get myself a million dollars. Um, if you're looking at right, if you're looking at guys in that 10 to 15 range, you know, um, I don't want to throw out names. That'd be kind of rude saying you can't be UFC champion, so you got to go over to P PFL. But um, regardless, you get the point that don't be surprised if we see more people jump over to PFL looking to do that. Quickly, we saw Sam Alvey removed from the UFC roster. His last fight was his last fight on his contract. Technically, he could be re-signed. Um, we'll have to wait and see, but um, I doubt it considering he is 0-8-1 in his last nine. I know a lot of people make jokes about Sam Alvey still being in the UFC, so now he is no longer in the UFC, so I thought I would mention that here. And the last thing that we are going to talk about today, Bo Nickel. I have two or three, eh, I shouldn't even, I don't, I don't know how long this is going to go, but I do have some strong opinions here about Bo Nickel, about college wrestling. Let's start with Bo Nickel and his first Dana White Contender Series fight. He went out there and submitted his opponent in 61 seconds, doesn't get the contract. Once again, this is not what you guys think it is, right? I've seen a lot of people that are just looking at this surface level, right? A lot of people are just saying, oh, he didn't get a contract. That's BS. He deserved a contract. Did Bo Nickel deserve a contract? Yes, he did. I'm not telling you 
that you're wrong, that Bo Nickel didn't deserve a contract. That's not what I'm saying. But what I will say is Bo Nickel was not surprised he did not get a contract. Bo Nickel told reporters prior to the fight that he would not be surprised if he had to fight in Dan White Contender Series again before getting his UFC call or his UFC contract. He did not look surprised when he did not get the contract, second of all. He told reporters, yeah, I'm cool with fighting another Dana White Contender Series fight. And, you know, he really was just like, oh, yeah, I'll fight another one. Who cares, right? So Bo Nickel was not upset at this, right? So what that tells me, um, and some other people have said this as well, I'm pretty sure that Bo Nickel has a UFC contract already. Um, his manager is the same manager of Jorge Masvidal, and he tweeted something about, like, guys, chill out. We're just getting another Dana White contender series fight. It's okay. Bo Nickel was like, guys, don't worry about it. A lot of people are coming to the defense of Bo Nickel, but I think in reality, the UFC has some sort of contract signed with Bo Nickel, right? Because Dana White contender series ultimately is here to build stars. That's what the UFC is trying, the UFC is trying to do. They're trying to build stars, right? Do a lot of these guys end up being stars? No, right? But you have your Sean O'Malley's. You have your Jamal Hills, right? You have your Alex Prezes, who's not a star, but he is a, a title contender. Um, and you have a lot of fighters that have done really well in the UFC. That's what they're trying to build, right? So it wouldn't make sense for the UFC to t make this show to promote a regional-level fighter, right? And Bo Nickel is more well-known than every single other regional-level fighter. And he is a better fighter than every single other regional-level fighter at this point, regardless. But this, this show is meant to build stars and promote, right? Why would the UFC build up Bo Nickel, right? He, you're right, and build, Bo Nickel is already a big-time star. I'm not saying they built him up from the grounds up. They took a star and increased his star level by letting him go out there and submit somebody in 61 seconds. Why would the UFC do that? Just to let him become a free agent and let Bellator offer him a bunch of money or let PFL offer him a bunch of money, right? They're not trying to build stars for other promotions. The chances are he already had a contract and the UFC said, hey, we're going to give you a bum and we're going to let you run right through him through the first week. And... In that time, you get a little more experience. You get a little more experience making the MMA weight cut, different than a college wrestling weight cut, different than an Olympic weight cut a little bit. Um, so you get a little, a little bit more experience with the weight cut. I can't imagine that's a problem. You get you know another month in the gym to work on your striking. You get another month to work on your jiu-jitsu. You get to do the walk once. You get to feel the atmosphere once. right? You get to do all these things another time. And the UFC is going to bring him back for a second time, right? So I think this first time was all about experience and all about promoting, right? They wouldn't have done that if he did not already have some form of some form of contract or agreement, even if it was something as small as a two-fight stint on Dana White Contender Series. Because even if he would have lost that fight, they could have promoted a second fight for him on Dana White Contender Series. So maybe they had a two-fight Dana White Contender Series um, deal for Bo Nickel already, um, at a minimum, and then after that, they're going to sign him. If he wins, um, maybe they have a six-fight UFC deal already signed, and he's fighting the first two on Dana White Contender Series. So, 
don't get too upset. Don't get too frustrated that the UFC did not sign him. He is returning on September 27th to fight Donovan Beard, who is 7-1, who will by far be his biggest test to date. Um, now, if he wins this, he will be in the UFC. So, like I said, do not get too upset by Bo Nickel not being a UFC fighter because he is returning. He's getting that second opportunity. He's doing it in very soon. So, if you're upset right now that Bo Nickel is not a UFC fighter, give it two months, and he probably will be. So, don't worry about it. Chill out. Now, the second major point that I want to make here is that college wrestling is a big-time pipeline to MMA. And do not be surprised if we see more people like Bo Nickel um, make the transition. Bo Nickel, college wrestler, great college wrestler, also has Olympic experience, right? So Bo Nickel is more than a college wrestler. Um, I shouldn't say he has Olympic experience. He's an Olympic caliber wrestler. For those that don't know, Bo Nickel took second in the U.S. Olympic team trials to David Taylor. David Taylor eventually won the gold medal um, in the 2020 Tokyo Games. And David Taylor, if I'm remembering this correctly, he beat the entire crowd very convincingly up until the gold medal match. In the gold medal match, it was competitive, but he did win, like I said. So he was unable to beat the best wrestler in his weight class in the world, right? So Bo Nickel might not be the best wrestler in the world, but he is the second or third or at a minimum the fourth best wrestler in the world. So, um... Bone Nickel is a little bit more than a college wrestler, but there are going to be a lot of college wrestlers that are making the transition soon, right? We've seen in in wrestling, wrestling has begun to pick up, and there's more money to be made wrestling for Team USA. There's more money to be made being in it being a freestyle wrestler. There's more money in there, so we're not seeing the same type of transition, and it's harder too. Um, the skill gap is different. MMA is more skilled today, so we're not seeing as many guys come to the UFC and do great things right away like we did at the very beginning of the sport, but we will see more. We will see more, Um, and the reasoning for that is right now, guys are kind of figuring out that wrestling landscape, and it's become more evident of who is going to make big bucks here and who is going to make big bucks in MMA. I think that line right now is more defined than it has been over the last five to ten years. So I think we're going to see more college wrestlers, and not um, the peak that we have seen college wrestlers make that transition. But we're going to see more. Um, Bo Nickel has made his transition. Bryce Meredith, All-American wrestler, is 2-0 and on the regional scene. Anthony Cesar, who wrestled at Penn State, won a national championship, um, wrestled... With Bo Nickel, I believe they were on the same team. I know they trained together at ATT. He is making that transition. Roman Bravo Young, who is currently a senior at Penn State, not even done with his wrestling career, already a two-time national champion, trains with Dominic Cruz. He is talking about making the transition in like 2024. He's already got it planned. He's already been working with Dominic Cruz. He's already getting experience, you know, um, who knows if Gable Stevenson will Gable Stevenson, excuse me, will ever make the transition, but he could at any time. He is the best heavyweight wrestler in the world. So for him it's going to be easier than some of these other guys. Um, um, you know. 
we can keep going, but just be aware that there are going to be a lot, a lot of NCAA wrestlers that make that transition. I don't want to say soon, but over the next couple years. And if you're looking for who's going to be the best, um, I have a hard time not saying Bo Nickel, but he's already made the transition. We've seen him in the octagon. If you're looking for someone that hasn't made their debut yet, I'm looking at Roman Bravo Young, and he seems like he's going to be the best one. So bookmark this right here. Um, I'm telling you, and you know what? Let's restart it because that way I'll clip this and put it on some other social medias as well. But let me tell you right now that we are going to see an evasion of talent from the NCAA wrestling world come to the UFC. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of those guys do a lot of great things in the sport of MMA. And if you're looking for the best one, it is Roman Bravo Young. That rhymed, but don't be surprised if we see Roman Bravo Young become a UFC champion one day. Um, that is my that is my clip. That is that is the one that I'm putting my hat on. Roman Bravo Young looks to be someone that I think can do a lot of great things in the sport of MMA. Remember this, um, and and when I'm right, and when Bo Nickel is a champion, I will I will have this and I and I will show you this. So just remember that. Or or maybe he doesn't become a UFC champion and I look like an idiot. All possible. So hey, only time will tell. Regardless of what happens, um, we're done with this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Like I said, next week, not next week, um, Thursday or Friday, I'll be back with a UFC 278 preview. I like doing the pay-per-view previews on Thursday or Friday. It gives me more time to watch film. It gives me a little bit more time to get my, get my stuff together and give you a better episode. So, um... Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Headkit KO podcast. I hope you enjoyed um, and make sure you come back on Thursday or Friday for that preview. Thank you. Goodbye. Oh! In front, take him in the face! Kevin Lee with the ultimate oh!